All right, so we're going to move into uh, our teaching in 1 Peter chapter 3, and we're in 18 to 22, and it'll be on the screen if you don't have your Bible. Um, if you do, turn there. Um, it's also in the notes. If you go to um, the bulletin, you'll see everything as well. It's all on the Connect card, and all that stuff's on one page on our website. So you can track along, and if you want, um, there's a little video that I tagged in on the end that I'll, I'll talk about at the end here. Um, but yeah, Scripture's there, and um, let me read it, and then I want to share a story about a rabbi. All right, let's do this. Starting in verse 18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteousness for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. If you want to underline, that's something to underline, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. In that state, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah, while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes, if you want to underline something, underline symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand with the angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Okay, so we're, we're tagging on the end of this passage here, and one of the things that uh, he really focuses on is this idea of baptism. And so we're going to look at this concept of baptism. Maybe you've been baptized, or maybe you haven't. Maybe you're thinking about it. Um, maybe you haven't really wrestled with it theologically. Um, we're going to dig into it a bit, and, uh, but before I want to do that, I want to talk about why baptism matters, um, and uh, we're going to use a couple questions to do that. So first thing, uh, first century rabbi is wandering around, and he's meditating on scripture, okay? You may have heard this story. I don't know. It's quite popular. I couldn't figure out who actually, where it originated, but I just know it's used by a lot of people. Um, and I thought it was interesting to like wrestle with. But um, so this, this first century rabbi is wandering around meditating on scripture and he's wandering through his city, um, just interacting with God, like having this time of just really trying to reflect and see like, what, is, what are these, what is Torah telling him? Like, what is he what is he called to? How does he live this out? And as he's wandering around, like just totally just in, engulfed, entrenched in his like meditation, stumbles across this, this Roman guard who's in this tower, and the, and the Roman guard's like, who are you and what are you doing here? And instantly like this rabbi responds with like, whoa, like, a, like what's going on here? Like, who are you? What's going on? How much do you get paid to ask people these kind of questions? And the guard responds with, like, they pay me five denarii. And he's like, can you come to my house and I'll pay you double to ask that same question every single day? Who are you and what are you doing here? Who are you and what are you doing here? And so I want to use those two questions as a backdrop to, use, to talk about baptism and to talk about our faith and to talk about, like, what we're committing our lives to because ultimately baptism shapes who we are and those two questions, I believe, are something you could wrestle with the rest of your life. And I love that that's what he says is like, just, can you ask me those two questions every single day? Because that's helping me. Who are you? Talks about identity. Talks about who we are, right? 
Like, what am I wrapped up in? What do I care most about? Who's guiding my life? Who am I uh, learning to be? And then the second part of it is direction. Like, what am I going to do with what I know about myself? Am I going to take this in a healthy, productive direction? Or, you know, what am I doing with my life? What am I doing with the hours of my day? How am I living this thing out? And so, um, if you don't have the notes or whatever, if you want to write that down, I would say, like, that is the core of what I want to hit on today. Who are you, and what are you doing? What are you doing here? Um, these two questions in the years that I've been doing ministry um, have been interesting to wrestle with as I watch and basically have the front row seat to a lot of lives, Right? Um, and I get to watch how people choose to live their lives and how they answer these two questions, who they are and what are they doing with their life. And um, it's beautiful to be able to watch that take place, and it's beautiful to watch how people find their identity in something very beautiful like Jesus and then begin to use that life to begin to transform not only themselves but the people around them and begin to use like their life for this like mission of like transforming other people's lives, and uh, and there's something really really beautiful about that, and uh, and I see that people can take like almost two roads of like I'm gonna choose to have my own identity wrapped up in me and what I'm doing, or I can have like this identity that's wrapped up in the fact that God loves us, that He cares for us, that He longs to do something through us, and um, and so there's clearly like these two different paths that. Um, maybe you've observed it as well in watching family, friends, um, that as they answer that question, the first one, who they are, it gets convoluted with a whole lot of other stuff that isn't productive, that isn't helpful, that is damaging. And then as a result of that, answer the second part of the question is, what are they doing, what are they doing here is just kind of floating, just not sure what to do, and ending up in places that they shouldn't end up in. And maybe you can all agree that we've all been there, right? We've all been there at places where we're like, I have no idea who I am. I have no idea what I'm doing. And those are like the most frustrating times in life. And I think we ebbs, ebbs and flows, right? Um, because I, in my life, have moments where I have full clarity and I know that and I go, yes, this is what I'm living into. And there's days where I'm like, Katie, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> like, I'm just be honest, right? I don't know what I'm doing, and I don't know where I'm going, and like what I'm supposed to be doing, like where, and then we have people around us that then go, let me remind you of your identity. Let me remind you of where you're going and what you're doing, and, and we live back into it. So uh, verse 18, let's pull this apart a bit and begin to see what he's talking about here and how we can begin to use these two questions to weave into um, understanding what he's talking about. So verse 18, he says, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteousness or the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. And I believe when we talk about that first question of like identity, who you are, who are you? This is what it's all about. Jesus says that he came to bring you to God, to reconcile that relationship, to bring you back and to bring back that um, that broken relationship. So when we talk about like not knowing what to do in life, not knowing where to go, and when we talk about making decisions that are poor, that are destructive, um, and repeating those as a pattern in our daily lives, that's all brokenness. And what he's saying is like, 
the righteousness of Jesus came for the unrighteous, for us who basically you could say, we didn't know what to do, to mend that relationship, to bring us back to having that purpose, to having that identity that begins to move us forward into a place of uh, knowing what we're doing here. And so bringing this whole, um, this whole idea of um, relationship between us and God as well as us and people back into the way it was originally designed to be. And it goes on and he says, um, he was put to death in the body but made alive in the spirit. And again, that's just a way of saying who we are and what we are doing here um, becomes lively, becomes real, becomes something that's actually engaging um, when we begin to be alive in the Spirit. And so when we talk about baptism, um, it's a really weird concept because he uses that analogy to talk about living in the Spirit. And, um, and so baptism is this like weird thing that like when you, if you've never heard of it or if you're looking from the outside in, you're going like, what? like why do you need to be dunked under water? Like why is there this need for this weird ritual that um, like when you read the Gospels, you see people like flocking to the water and walking down and like getting dunked. And it's like, it's almost like this like zombie kind of situation, you know, and it's just like, it's so foreign and so weird. But when we really look at it and we look at what Jesus teaches about it, we start to have understanding about the purpose, what it symbolizes. And so I want to talk a bit about that for a little while. Um, it's kind of like communion. So when we take communion, we're reminded of the body and the blood of Jesus. And so in baptism, when he talks about living in the Spirit, like having this Holy Spirit that resides in us, um, what he's pointing to is this idea that has existed throughout Scripture for a really, really long time, okay? So the act of baptism, um, I'll give, there's a definition up there, um, is an expression of faith and obedience. It's not the means of salvation, okay? So some people will say, like, you can't be saved until you get baptized. Not true. Like, you can be saved. You don't have to have it. It's not mandatory, but it's borderline. Like, when you look at Scripture, when you see Jesus modeling that, like, he's like, I need to be baptized, you're like, okay, well, if Jesus does it, it's kind of a big deal, right? Um, but then you see other parts of Scripture that talk about it. it's It's about faith, but it's a representation of that faith. It's a representation of, like, what God is doing. The same way, like, Taking communion doesn't actually make you saved. It doesn't actually, like, physically, maybe it does. I don't know. Uh, there's a mysterious thing going on there. But the Holy Spirit does something in the midst of that, in the midst of water, and something that, like, we see. Like, that's why I threw that slide in there. Something we see every day. And something that's around us constantly, and we see it as just water. But it has so much more power when we begin to understand that Jesus is at work, and His Holy Spirit is at work in all of these things. And so... Um, when we see Jesus modeling what it looks like to be baptized, and he's like, I need to do this, and he calls his disciples all to do this, we have to wonder, there has to be value in it. There has to be something in this symbol of getting dunked underwater and coming back up. And so the symbolism that happens there is this idea that we're being washed, that we're going under, we're starting out the old, like, fleshly, like, the old way of living, and as you go under, you're risen up with the Holy Spirit and you're being washed completely clean and now you are a new creation, a new person. Um, and so that symbolism that we see there um, 
he uses Noah as an example, right? He talks about Noah being like this flood that then, um, that then purifies, right? So like in the days of Noah, everyone was evil. No one was good in the sight of God, right? And so he says, like, I'm going to flood the earth um, and start fresh. And that whole thing, that whole concept, um, you could see it, like, because this isn't like a a theological concept that like baptism always existed. It was kind of a way of saying water was a way of cleansing. And we could see that and see that story of Noah and go, what's up with that? Like, why has God got to get rid of him? But why does God have to get rid of our old life? Like, why do we have to get baptized and have this symbolic way of saying, I'm getting rid of the old and I'm starting new? Because there has to be at some point a switch where we say, it's not about me anymore. It's now about God. And that's why he uses that illustration. There's also an illustration where um, when the Israelites uh, are led by Moses, being freed from Egypt, freed from slavery, freed from this old way of life that was destructive, that was damaging, and now being set free, that as they pass through the Red Sea, there's a baptism that takes place, a new life, like entering into this relationship with God where they are obedient and following God. And so these are all just symbolic They're not actually like ways of um, baptism, but they're symbolic of this living water that God provides. And this concept starts out all the way back in Genesis 2. Um, You can go back and read it if you want, but essentially there's a couple lines where it says, everything's barren, God created rivers and water, and then he created human beings to flourish in the midst of that. And so the condensed version of that is, that's the Garden of Eden. And that everything was the way that God intended it to be because it went from barren to full of water and life. And so water symbolizes this life. It symbolizes flourishing. And and so when we talk about baptism, when we talk about water, that's woven into all of Scripture. That concept, that symbol, that, that way of looking at water from this perspective of it's more than just water. It's God's Holy Spirit doing something through us. And yeah, it still is just water. It still is just the ocean. But when we begin to engage in this relationship with God, we begin to see that it's, it was designed initially to be this beautiful relationship in the Garden of Eden. And the term that is used there is this idea of peace and shalom, if you go back in the Hebrew. And that idea of shalom is that the relationship was good between us and each other. So man and woman, the relationship between them was pure, it was good. And the relationship between them and God was good. And so when we talk about baptism, we're talking about going all the way back to that intended state that we're supposed to be in. The intended way we're supposed to relate to each other. The intended way that we're supposed to relate to God. And so um, I hope that that gives like a bigger picture of when we talk about baptism and we talk about this water, this living water, um, that we begin to see how significant it is and how powerful it is. And like, yeah, it's a symbol, but yeah, it's also so much more, right? Um, Jesus talks about being living what? Living water, right? So he continues that story from Genesis 2 all the way through and goes, I'm going to bring you living water. And he sits and speaks with a woman at the well, right? And says, I'm going to give you water that wells up to what? Eternal life. This water that's, yeah, it's still just a bucket of water, but what I'm going to give you is so much more. It's going to be this water that like, 
that quenches your soul, that quenches your spirit. And so going back to those first two questions, who are you? What are you doing here? We are people who are loved by God, that he says, I want to give you this water that quenches your thirst, that gives you this life, that gives you this way of being that it's not just water anymore, that now it's this life-giving thing that now transforms who you are, that now moves you into a place of saying, you know what I'm going to do? I want to share this with other people. Like, I've experienced the, the water that is living, that is quenching my thirst for a satisfied life, for meaning, for purpose, that then begins to move us in this place of like, wow, I've experienced that. Now I can give that to other people. Like, Jesus invites us to then share that water with others. And again, it's just a symbol, but it's also so much more, right? So when we talk about baptism, it represents this flourishing. It represents this way of life that is good. When we describe um, life as challenging, as dry, as empty, when we've been in that state where we feel that way, what Jesus does is he says this metaphor of living water, it comes in and it speaks to that. So maybe you've experienced new life and you've experienced this fresh water yourself, but maybe you've been in conversation with somebody this week that said, I just feel empty. I feel dry. Maybe there's other words that you could fill in there. My soul just feels drained. Whatever kind of like word you want to drop in there, what Jesus says is, I want to step into that and quench that thirst. And we have an opportunity when we talk about where are we going, we have an opportunity every single day to say, let me help you with that. Like, I want to show you this thing that I've discovered. I got baptized my senior year in high school at Oceanside Pier. And I remember how I've forgotten, I would say, over the years, but I remember now that as I was doing this sermon prep, the life that I, the transformation of life that I experienced when I said, I want to be baptized. Because I discovered the, the quenching of the thirst that Jesus offers as we begin to encounter him and encounter the ways of Jesus that somehow propelled me to say, like, this is amazing. I want more of this. And so I experienced the Holy Spirit, and I said, I want to get dunked in those waves. Like, I want to be part of that. I want to commit my life to that. And so it was this expression of saying, like, I want everybody to hear about this. I want people to see that this is my commitment. This is what I'm going to start driving towards because I've seen how life-giving it is, and I don't ever want to turn my back on that. And so when we talk about baptism, that's like, it's a truth. That's a, like, a message that is beautiful that we can share with people every single day. Like when we encounter people that are in that place that we talked about, dry, empty, desert, desolate. What baptism says is I'm going to bring in water, living water, water that brings new life. And he goes on in verse 21. Here's where he gets around. He says, um, it's not about removal of dirt. And I like that little line because so many times we think it's about removing all the dirt of our lives. Dirt's probably still going to be there at times, and dirt will probably show up at times. 
right? Like, we've all known that. If you've been a Christian for a long time, you know that there's going to be times in life where dirt's going to come in your life. And Peter understood this firsthand. We were talking about looking at Peter's life, and as he writes this letter, he writes out of experience. Because at one point, he sat with Jesus in the upper room in that Passover meal before Jesus was taken to the cross. And Jesus took a towel sat down and started washing his disciples' feet. Again, water being used to do what? Bring cleanliness, new life. It's a symbol again. And I'll, we'll pull up this passage. It's in John 13, 5. And I want to show you this conversation where Peter, it, it basically gives meat to what he says here when he talks about it's not about dirt. It's not really about dirt. Because dirt's about the outer part of your life. This is about the inner part of your life. And watch what he does as he has Jesus start to wash his feet. No, Peter said, you shall never wash my feet. You can't do this. Like, this isn't for you to be doing. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, uh, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well, right? It's got to be a whole body cleansing then. And Jesus is like, you can just probably see him. <sighs> Again, Peter with the like, you just don't get it. Again, like, come on. Like, how many times do I have to teach you this? And he goes on and he says, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you. When he talks about this and when he teaches his disciples what it means to be clean, it has to do more with the servanthood that Jesus models there. And he has, he's talking more about the inner life than he is the outer life. And so when Peter writes this here, he's like, it's not about dirt, because I learned that one with Jesus. Like, I messed that one up big time. It's not about how dirty your body is on the outward. It's about what's inside. Because ultimately, what happens inside of us, what flows out of us. What's in your heart, Jesus talks about this over and over, What's in your heart is then going to flow out of your life. The things that are in your thoughts, the things that you are constantly consuming and a part of, that's going to flow out of who you are. And we can all observe that, right, in one another, like as we see um, the things that we're passionate about and the things that we spend our time with during the week, that flows out of our lives. And so what Jesus says is, it's about the inner life. And what Peter reminds us and recognizes here is he's like, it's not about the removal of dirt, but it's about this like, pledge of a clear conscience. It's about this like inner life because so much of our life is consumed with the outer parts of our lives, right? Our culture teaches us it's more important to think about what people think about you than it is to think about really what you believe in and what you care about. Our culture, and I, I don't want to blame our culture. I'd say it's, it's us, right? Like we get caught up in that, that desire of approval from others and we get caught up in that desire for if I don't do these things culturally, then I won't succeed or I won't have this, these things that everybody's told me I need to have. That all ends up being a letdown because all that is is outward appearance. All that is is the outward part, right? What he says is, let's look at the inner part, the inner part of your life, the place where you feel anxious, where you feel stressed out, where you feel worried. He says, I want to meet you in that place because when you start to feel the calm and you begin to have that living water wash over you, you're going to experience this peace that you're going to go, it's good. There could be dirt all around me. I could be completely in the midst of like chaos and know that like this living water lives in me. 
and it washes me clean. It gives me new life. It gives me a fresher breath there. It gives me the sense of just like a deep sigh of like, I know things are good because I know that his Holy Spirit resides in me and he's journeying with me and he goes with me wherever I go. So when we talk about baptism, that's it. Like that's the core of it. That's what it's all about. And so going back to those two questions, what was the first one? Who are you? You are loved by God. The Holy Spirit wants to reside in you. We just say, no, I'm good. I got it. I can do it on my own. And he says, no, 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 no. Like, I want to wash you clean. I want to come and step into your heart and bring this like nourishing, this like fresh water that'll just bring new life to you. And then what was the second question? So where, where are we going? Where do we go with that fact, that truth that he has washed us clean, he gives us new life, his Holy Spirit resides in us. I think the first thing, like when we talk about action, like when we talk about moving this into something like that is tangible and lived out, I would say if you've experienced that new life, if you're like, I want more of that, this is a breath of fresh air, that living water, I need more of that, I've never fully experienced that, I would say invite God into that. It's as simple as that. Like churches have always said like there needs to be some kind of like prayer that you have to do where you have to come up and kneel somehow. No, no, no. It's just saying, God, I, I put my life in your hands. And just have that sigh of relief of like, I don't have to control this thing anymore. I can rest in the fact that the Holy Spirit is with me and I'm going to start to listen to that and not listen to the world or my selfish desires or whatever it else is that distracts me. I'm going to listen to the Holy Spirit. And if you've never done that, if you've never been baptized, if you've never made that commitment, I would say reach out to us. Get baptized. That is a huge step of saying, I want the Holy Spirit in me, and I want to live in the midst of this. And if you want to make that commitment, I would say write on your Connect card, send us an email, reach out to one of us as leaders. We will make that happen. We can go to the beach right now. Like, we can make that happen. Like, we could, we could put that on our calendar and make that happen and go and just do a baptism and get that going, all right? So, if that's something you're saying I need to commit to and I want to be a part of and I want to just completely surrender my life to Christ and what he's doing, commit to that. And the second part of that is if you've already been baptized, if you're like, yeah, I've been there, I remember that, but I've forgotten, I would say, remember, be reminded. Because I've forgotten. It's been, dang, 23 years since I've been baptized. And I've forgotten that joy, that breath of fresh air, that washing of the spirit that happened that moment when I was like, I'm going to commit to this. I want to be part of this. And I forget that sometimes. Maybe you need to be reminded today of that commitment you made, that you went under the water and you made that commitment to say, new life. I want to be listening to the Holy Spirit. My life now resides in that. It can't be taken away from you. Like, you don't need to do it again. You don't, like, I don't need to go get baptized again just because I've forgotten, like, the beauty of that at times. We need to just rest in that and be reminded of it at times and go, yes, the Holy Spirit is here. I've just, I've just neglected it. And that's why I show you this passage from 1 Thessalonians. It says, give thanks in every circumstance for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not extinguish the Spirit. What that tells me is that we can extinguish it. We can, we can put that out. Like we can say, I don't want anything to do with the Holy Spirit. Like we can put that fire out. But what I would remind us of is Let's fan that into flame. Like, let's bring that Holy Spirit and let's recognize it in our lives. And this isn't me getting all Pentecostal and weird. It's just saying, like, this is what Jesus talks about. He says, like, live with the Holy Spirit. It's like, live in this relationship that I've designed for you. 
and, and begin to follow it. And I was reading this book this week. I'm going to close with this thought that the struggle and the pain and the, the challenges that we face a lot of times are self-inflicted when we say, I don't experience God. I don't feel his nearness. That comes from just saying, I'm, I don't have time. I don't want to spend time with you. There's a beautiful conversation with Henry Nowen and Mother Teresa. And he asks her, like, what do you do to have this like abiding relationship? And she says, I spend one hour a day just communing with God. And the second part of it, she said, is I, do, I try to do everything that I feel like God is calling me to do. And he's like, that's it? And she's like, yeah, try that. <laughs> so I think sometimes we need to try that because we just, we don't feel the Holy Spirit because we're not engaging with the Holy Spirit. Like, I don't spend an hour a day just in Scripture and listening to God and meditating and praying. Like, an hour seems like eternity to some of us, right? Let's start with five minutes. Maybe it's a minute. I don't know. But this would be my action step is like, listen to the Holy Spirit. Let's step into that place of, if, if, an, if an hour is what you're already doing, awesome. Then I would say maybe the second part of it of like, what is the Holy Spirit calling you to do, right? Who are you and what are you doing here? So what are you doing here? Mother Teresa understood what she was doing here, clearly. Like we all know that. We don't, like we know her mission statement, and we know who she was called to be. And so that's my reminder. That's what I believe we see here in 1 Peter 3 at the end of this passage, this paragraph. It's just like this reminder to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and live and step with it and begin to really allow that to be the driving force of our life, that nothing else comes in. Any other competing messages is just like, no, that's all just distraction. I need to just abide. I need to sit with Jesus and listen and follow him and, and recognize that that quenches my soul, that it, it makes me feel so much more satisfied than the other things that I look to, right? So let me close in prayer. Lord, we want to be satisfied in one thing, and that is you, Jesus. We know that you designed us. You know our hearts. You know our minds. You know our bodies. You know all the challenges that we face, and you come to bring new life. You come to bring living water. You come to give us that fresh life that, um, that gives us a way of living in the midst of challenging relationships, in the midst of a challenging world. Lord, you come to bring us new life in the midst of that and a way to navigate those things. And so, Lord, we want to abide in you. We want to live in, your, in step with your Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, I just pray for all of us in this room right now that as we leave this place, that we would be reminded that you're here with us, that your Holy Spirit resides in us, and that we just need to listen. We just need to spend some time hearing from you. And that that will ultimately give us this mission of transforming the world that we live in. And so may our identity rest in you. And may we know that we're called to be parts of this community that help bring new life, that help usher in flourishing and this refreshing living water um, that people I know out there are longing for and that some of us are longing for in this room right now. And so thank you for your Holy Spirit. And uh, we recognize you in this place, and we want to continue to abide. We pray this in your name. Amen. If you have questions about anything that I said, um, again, any, any one of these messages when we talk about these passages, we're trying to stay true to what's happening here. But there may be other things that you're like, hey, what does that mean? What's that all about? We're here for you. 
Um, and if you have questions, we'd love to wrestle through that. And again, if you haven't been baptized, I want to encourage you to get baptized and reach out to one of us and we'll make that happen. We could do it here. We could do it at the beach. We get creative. It's all, it's all God's. So we'll make that happen. So rejoice in knowing that we never walk alone. Know the grace and peace of Christ walking beside us, guiding and protecting us. Let's share this comfort with one another and feel the presence of each moment every single day, starting with today as we do this prayer.